Welcome to Making the Music, a mostly classical music podcast about what and who are behind the music. The stories from around the world of musicians, conductors, composers, concert and festival organizers, educators, and maybe even the backstage life. Get a behind-the-scenes look at how we get the performances. The great and sometimes not so great. The unforgettable. And also, those probably better forgotten. Join us for Making the Music. Welcome to Making the Music, a mostly classical music podcast about what and who are behind the music. The stories from around the world of musicians, conductors, composers, concert and festival organizers, educators, and maybe even the backstage life. Get a behind the scenes look at how we get the performances, the great and sometimes not so great, the unforgettable, and also those probably better forgotten. Join us for Making the Music. Hello everyone and uh, welcome to Making the Music. I'm Pete, your host, and today my guest is John Montgomery, a wonderful saxophonist, educator, and composer. Uh, spent over 36 years in the music education uh, in the States, also uh, four decades in the military music system as well, and in the beginning of his career... Uh, toured with well-known groups all across the world, uh, including the Four Tops, the Temptations, the Silver Bullet Band, Aretha Franklin, Bob Hope, uh, and many others. So thank you, John, uh, for being here today and taking the time. It's my pleasure, Pete. Nice to talk to you again. All righty. So, as I mentioned, you are a saxophonist. And I'm curious how you got started playing the sax. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that perhaps you saw former President Clinton playing the sax on the Arsenio Hall so, show and thought, <laughs> that's what I need to be doing, right? <laughs> Yeah, like most Americans, you know, we take our cues from former President Clinton. Um, sorry, I couldn't say that actually and mean it. Uh, so anyway, um, no, I, I'm much older than that guy. Um, so at least his uh, presidential period. 
Um, I was a kid in the early 70s, and it was time to pick an instrument if you wanted to be in the school band. And my, I had a big brother that literally filled out my little card for me um, because he played guitar and he, he had a rock band with his buddies in town and uh, they needed a saxophone player. So I, I really didn't know what a tenor saxophone was when I turned in the card. And until I saw this huge case, yeah, I, I saw this huge case and I, I could barely, I was at that time it was, uh, I was like in sixth grade. So I wasn't that, you know, fully grown, of course. So I got, I looked at this huge thing and I just thought, dude, I can't even lift it, you know, but uh, things worked out. Um, I got my own seat on the school bus, which was pretty cool. <laughs> but, you know, and just uh, starting then was, um, was just listening, you know, and again, my, I had some older siblings that love music. And so, I brought this thing home, and as I'm learning how to play, you know, my first notes, they're feeding me uh, record after record after record of their favorite music, you know, at that time, you know, stuff in, this, in the early 70s. But there was a lot of saxophone stuff going on then. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you're going to bring home a saxophone, some wise guy is going to turn you on to John Coltrane. And, uh, you know, whatever, everybody, Charlie Parker, uh, Sonny Rollins. So I was just getting inundated with these fantastic saxophone players, the history of saxophone, without really even knowing it, um, just because it was something to do. You know, I practiced and listened to those things. So um, really the best education to learn anything like that, you know, a language like that, is to hear it. Um, and so... It was just part of my day, a couple hours a day of listening and practicing. Right on, right on. I just find this funny that your brother uh, picked your instrument for you. Uh, um, going to your uh, to your background, um, you're playing, you know, so you go through uh, college and whatnot, and, and you're playing and you get these calls from some of these different groups. How, how did that all come about? Uh, my my entire uh, playing, teaching, writing, um, music life was all just luck and uh, blessings, you know, one after another. I really um, just happened at that old saying of being in the right place at the right time. It was never so true than, than the way things worked out for me. Um, I, I chose to go to a, a school in, here in Michigan over by Detroit. Um, called Oakland University, and mostly because I had a scholarship, and then you know it was wasn't too far from home and all that. But as soon as I got there, I realized that the entire music department was full of all the Motown musicians that did all the recordings back in the sixties and in early seventies. Um, and then when Barry Gordy took the uh, Motown out to Los Angeles. You know, they have players out there. So these guys in Detroit uh, were just kind of stranded a little bit, you know, uh -huh. and they all got jobs at Oakland University. And so I was taking arranging from Grammy Award win winning arrangers uh, like Johnny Allen. I, I took saxophone lessons from Sam Sanders, who played on, you know, countless recordings. And these guys were actually um, like just uh, Oakland University at that time was just like a place a meeting place for all these great musicians. Um, you know, once in a while, Earl Clue, uh, this great guitar player, 
uh, would he was dating one of the dance instructors, so he would show up early and play along with the big band at Oakland. Um, and so you turn around and there's these heroes of your youth, you know, sitting in in the same band. So starting from that, uh, to know those people, of course, you know, it's it's who you know a little bit, right? Sure. sure. Um, and so my teacher, Sam, would I, I was on a probably on a, you know, a short list of, of saxophone players that if he couldn't do the job, um, he would, you know, find out what I'm doing that weekend or whatever. And then, you, you know, as you do it, um, it's providing you do a good job. Then you meet somebody else and you get on another list. And so it was just, uh, it was really luck. Okay. Um, and I, and I've always said since then, um, you know, and, and no matter what, what you do, and I've, you know, I told my kids this and, and, and students, um, you got to make sure you have the skill set ready to go so that when you do get a phone call and they go, Hey, you want to do this? And you're thinking in your mind, I am not good enough to do that you know right. you don't want that so make sure that make sure you're ready um you know you're not going to be ready for, for everything but i was lucky that the opportunities that presented themselves to me um happened to be in line with the skill set that i had at that time you know and so i i was able to do a good job and then get another call and then from there kind of rolls downhill right on yeah, I never knew that uh, really about uh, Oakland that, uh, and that, you know, all these musicians were just kind of left stranded. But I have to say that's kind of a cool thing about the university that they're like, hey, we got all these great musicians here. Uh, we need to, you know, uh, I don't want to say throw them a lifeline or, or whatever, but we need to take advantage of them. We need to get them on staff. It's kind of a... I mean, it helps everybody out. It helps everybody out. Oh, yeah. There weren't too many music degrees in that bunch either. You know, there are a few, but, um, you know, it's kind of funny how the way education works is um, they couldn't get a job. At, I mean, Oakland did a great thing, but those guys, those same guys probably couldn't have gotten hired at hundreds of other universities because they didn't have a piece of paper that said they were good. Right. And, uh, but they had yet, you know, this, lineage of recordings that they left the world um that obviously says they're good so yeah oakland did a really good a good thing there i'm not really sure you know how much you were playing or and then moving into education how did that uh, all come about i mean if you're playing with you know some of these folks you know and and a session artist you know how, how do you say you know what um, I, I i want to move into teaching or or how did that all come about or maybe it came about because you saw these guys at Oakland teaching as well. Um, I don't know how. Well, you know, I, I came from a, a solid music program, you know, in my little hometown, you know, so that's it started there to witness good teaching. And then obviously uh, my experience at Oakland. And then I, I ended up moving over to the other side of the state uh, to, to Grand Rapids. And then some doors opened uh, there that I was able to go to school and and work on finishing an education degree um as well as play six nights a week which kind of <laughs> was kind of difficult you know I, in most cases you get a degree in four years and i i got a degree in seven years um i i kind of took light loads because i was out every night um and then you meet people you know in that in the club scene and you're playing with different groups um and then they'll say hey you know i want you to come in and record some jingles or whatever um, is going on. So you're just kind of juggling 
all of those things. Um, my biggest motivation to, to get through the, you know, getting a, a certificate and a finishing degrees um, was really the fact that, you know, you, you look at the life of, uh, of a musician and it, you're living the dream until you start to get a little older and then the dream starts to change. Um, and then you're thinking about settling down and, and in my case, you know, having a family and so on. And then you're like, well, I don't want to be living on a bus, um, you know, or living, you know, at, at night, uh, seven nights a week to, to, to pay bills. So you start to look at a day job. And for me, um, luckily, I was not equipped to do absolutely anything else but music. So uh, it was an obvious choice to uh, start teaching Luckily for you, <laughs> that's just funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you you don't want me to do anything else. I'm, I'm telling you. Um, and so it was it was good that I was able to balance these other things. You know, finish up a degree and and do gigs. You know, that's slowed down a little bit because I was getting up and and going to school. But um, but then immediately after I graduated, uh, I had a I had a job. I had a full time job waiting for me. Um, so it was kind of the, you know, uh, I, I referred to it as a car wash of, of things happening, just kind of go, plowing through it. Um, but those are good, good things, you know, um, that that's the point is to go get a full-time job. So I, I was lucky to have that. Can you tell me, um, you know, so for maybe, uh, some of our listeners, you know, every, every country has their, has their own kind of. Uh, musical education uh, system, whether it's connected with, uh, you know, public schools or, or separate or whatever. In the U.S., it's obviously connected with the schools. You know, generally uh, kids pick an instrument if they want to, you know, try band or orchestra in, in fifth grade. Uh, for me, it was. And a bunch of them, you know, stay for a couple of years and then some drop out. But music is actually, uh, you know, part of our system. Uh, part of the U.S. system of of education. What are I think it still starts at 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 fifth grade, uh, correct? Or or is it sixth grade now, or fourth grade, or what? Uh, both. Yeah, it's a little all over the place. Um, sixth is probably the most normal. Um, fifth grade, if you're lucky. Uh, and yeah, and and then early on, you have music in the classroom. You know, from kindergarten on. So. Um, but as far as instrumental music, uh, usually sixth grade. Yeah. For me, we started in, in fifth grade. Um, what are from your whole experience, what are some of the positives and perhaps there is some negatives to the system that, that we have in, in the States, uh, for, for music education, um, well, the positives, um, you know, I mean, so many tests, so, you know, uh, brain scans, you know, you, you can prove that a person that has exposed themselves to music, um, listening and performing and, and uh, you know, just manipulating uh, music, that their thinking skills uh, can go off the charts. Um, so luckily, we've realized that there is that potential. Every time there's a fine arts program that's on the chopping block due to budget constraints, um, there's there's plenty of information and ammunition out there to to prove that kids flourish when they're you know lucky enough to be exposed to music. So so far, um, by and large, in America, we're doing a pretty good job of making sure that's a priority. Um, 
you know, not to say that it's like that everywhere. Uh, and it's, and sadly, you know, we have budget issues like everybody else. So it is looked at, I'm sure from time to time, but it's kind of one of those, uh, things you just don't want to touch, you know, Mm -hmm. um, because they do realize how important it is for a human's growth and just, uh, overall well-being to be able to express yourself, whether it's, you know, the, um, musical arts or, or uh, fine arts any any kind of artistic involvement where you where you let a kid be creative the, the i guess the the biggest negative i would say is i've taught in a couple you know a couple different places in the united states um is the fact that you know if you look at the united states as um 50 individual governments right and 50 individual um department of educations that fall under, you know, a federal department of education. Um, in order to include everybody, the the benchmarks that kids are supposed to learn um, in the fine arts is quite wide. Okay. Um, so because of that, and, and what I mean by quite wide is, you know, you can't you can't expect, at least realistically, expect a state, um, I, you know, like everybody picks on Mississippi or Louisiana. That, that don't they, you know they don't have a, a large budget for their for their programs um and maybe the socioeconomic situation is different than it would be in you know New York or something like that California um so you but you can't expect them to um, have the same type of program that offers the same type of things um if you're going to then come back later and say you know how come how come you don't have an orchestra at your school and they go well because none of these people can afford to buy an orchestra instrument or buy a violin or whatever. Um, so what they've done is um, the benchmarks are kind of very broad, as long as you're catching a few different, you know, uh, things. So because of that, you can, you know, if you were a kid and you, if you your parents traveled a lot, you know, and you had to move a lot, um, you could go, you know, four or five different areas of our country and get a completely different level of, uh, performance criteria, music theory, all of that stuff. Um, if you got it at all, you know, there are some schools that offer zero music theory, which, you know, most people would, would tell you that's a travesty, right? So, um, but it's because they can only afford to do the performances. Um, you know, that uh, apparently we have this game over here called football, the American football. And that wags the tail of the dog in many, many places, you know, so um, people only see or even know that their school has a band because of the halftime shows at football games or because of the parade, you know, a couple times a year. That's when they would notice that, oh, we need to we need to, you know, throw more money at our band program because, you know, we didn't we didn't have a halftime show. And that's that's ridiculous, but it's actually true in, in a lot of places. So again, you know, it's thinking of the United States as fifty different criteria for for education, not just music either. I mean, there's national, yeah, there's national standards that are in place, but they, in order to do that, they've got to be have some leeway of what good is, you know, and what uh, co- uh, competent is, you know. Yeah, they've got to somehow include everybody to make that window wide enough so that everybody can squeeze in, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, you already mentioned uh, the positive that, uh, first of all, your brain is developing. Any other uh, positives 
of of the way the system is set up? Uh, I I think it's you know especially I mean in the past few years um, we obviously noticed through that pandemic that uh, kids need to be around other kids. Um, period. You know. And when you take things away like that, um, that their their growth is stunted in all kinds of areas. Um, and so they one of the best things that music offers is, you know, how to work in a group for a common goal that everybody agrees on and that you uh, you do what it takes to to work together and produce a really nice thing, you know. Um, and then you take that away from kids for a couple of years uh, and we've seen it, you know, just watch the news. I mean, we've forgotten how to just be nice. We've forgotten how to, to ride airplanes together. We forgot, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that, that uh, you learn from being in a group setting where the, where everybody there understands that we are going to use everything within our power for a common thing that we're going to be proud of at the end. And we sure as heck miss it, you know, nowadays. And it's, of course, it's going to come back. You know, I mean, it takes a little while once you lose that um, to, to build it back. And we're finding out how difficult that is um, as we're, you know, navigating through this. But uh, I think that is probably the best thing, you know. So, I, you know, I taught 36 years. I Once in a while, I run into uh, somebody that I taught years ago, and they're all in their 50s now, which is scary. Um, but uh, if we start talking about, you know, band back then, um, in that conversation, they're going to talk about, I mean, without everybody, 100% of these conversations, they're going to have something about their friends that they had in band, um, that one thing that we did together that, that was a cool product that we put out, or just a, it's that group uh, thing that, that humans have to have. Um, that that's really probably the single most cool thing about it. Keeping in that, uh, well, I guess it's not really keeping, but but moving on to military music. You know, every country they they've got their their military bands, and most people see the military bands when they're marching down, you know, a parade, uh, celebrating whatever holiday it is, or you know, what have you. Um, and they're usually playing marches. What do military bands in the U.S. do besides play marches and march in parades? Well, uh, probably the, the biggest uh, portion of military music uh, has to do with tradition of, of your uh, military and your country. Um, they, they keep alive, uh, musically keep alive uh, things that have been important for however many years, you know, your country's been around. Um, also, uh, it, it's really, really important that, to have uh, a, a people on the same page is, you know, if you're going to in, indulge in any kind of military activity. Um, and music does that. It brings people together. And then certain uh, songs that the people have known in their country for, for years and years, you know, um, from their youth and from their father's uh, military experience, their grandfather's military experience, that uh, keeping that tradition uh, on the forefront is is also very impressive. Um, I, I, I was able to, you know, in a lot of concerts, um, be able to uh, hang out with veterans, you know, that, that were there. Um, 
these old guys that maybe, you know, fought in conflicts, you know, decades ago, earlier. And when you play certain military music and to see these guys struggle to get out of their wheelchair because they're, they're going to stand, you know, for that song, whatever it takes, they're going to stand. And when you see the importance it is to, to the lineage of your country, um, it's really quite an awesome thing. Another importance that I would say maybe, I don't know, second or third on the list um, is, is that you have to have uh, a people together. If, you know, if you want to read the art of war, um, Sun Tzu, you know, his first uh, checkbox was to make sure that the people are behind what you're about to do. And in order to, to do that, um, music was a, is a great way to bring together a nation and, and whether it's, you know, good news, bad news, um, music can, can help you get through that, whether it's a, a happy time or extremely sad time. Um, people cling to each other through music because it truly is universal and, uh, musical, um, groups in, in our military anyway. It, it, they they understand what that's like. They know how to bring people together. They know the importance of what they're doing. Um, and I, I used to tell uh, some, you know, if I had to go to meetings and and many times, you know, kind of justify a budget or something for your band in the military. Um, I was able to look a you know a two star general uh, in the face and say, uh, "Sir, have you ever seen you know?" Saving Private Ryan. And of course, you know, he seemed saving Private Ryan. And, and I said, well, you know, I, I think you should go home and try to watch the first 20 minutes with the sound off and see how you feel about it. And 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 they would immediately understand like how music can motivate and how it can, you know, bring out emotion. And uh it does some pretty spectacular things. And so uh, they do see the importance, and then of course the tradition aspect of it. But uh, there's all kinds of good things. Uh, I want to point out, you know, just recently the the one two six army band here in Michigan um, uh, just traveled to Latvia. Uh, they got home a few days ago, and and during that time they were um, experiencing uh, tradition, and so they they were kind of were over there to explore each other's music and to take both uh, countries' music and perform in front of large audiences and kind of show people how that music bridges um, communities across the globe. Um, and there's really no better way to, to show that than to, to have, you know, uh, people from, from two sides of the world get together and through music um, reach each other and then reach everybody in the room. And they had some pretty large audiences over there. Very proud of the group. Ha, huh, nice, nice. Now, of course, um, military bands don't just only play marches, uh, right? I, I, I mean, I would, I would imagine they would okay. also uh, have concert music, uh, et cetera, right? Uh, yeah, of course, because um, you're, you know, you want to play to the room, as they say. And uh, so, in, in World War II, the room was a bunch of twenty-year-old uh, guys that were in, into swing music. So. Um, we had to have bands that could play swing music to entertain those those guys when they when they had a you know a, a break. Um, at that time, um, our musical system here um, didn't have in place the necessary bands, so they literally just hired 
uh, Glenn Miller and, and they, you know, to, to go tour. Um, and then uh, we know Glenn Miller was actually became an Air Force officer so that he could, uh, you know, use music to entertain troops at that time. So uh, military music got, got it, uh, through that experience, kind of said to themselves, you know, we should probably, you know, keep keep ta- track of what the kids are listening to so that we can not only just do traditional things, but motivate the current s- soldier. And so to do that, we, we have broken up, uh, uh, at least in the Army side of things, We've broken up the, a large concert band to do these traditional things into smaller groups. Uh, we have rock bands now, and we have jazz groups uh, that that play different kinds of settings, uh, different uh, ceremonies. Um, and then rock group, you know, um, you can throw five guys and, and some uh, equipment on a, on a uh, helicopter and land anywhere and uh, maybe help, help out the... Uh, psyche of those soldiers for for a couple of hours give them a break remind them about their homeland remind them about what they're doing and why they're doing it give them a few tunes that that will maybe uh good for their heart and their mindset and then pack up and move on to the next uh fob right on so it's kind of a one band fits all uh kind of thing uh for any situation that's that's right um and those situations change all right, and so you mentioned that, uh, you know, now you're retired and, you know, doing a lot more composing and arranging. What inspires you? Uh, and if anyone, I have been to the site, uh, obviously, um, but I have found a bunch of neat pieces. It's johnmontgomerymusic.com. And I will also be ordering a couple pieces for my daughter for, for flute. <laughs> Great. But what inspires you? I mean, you've got uh, some flute pieces here. You've got uh, chamber ensembles. You've got concert band stuff. You've got uh, marching percussion. You've got you got everything here. What inspires you when you're looking to write a piece? And, and how do you decide, you know what, I want this one to be for this group, etc.? Um, well, you know, over the years of, of teaching and, and standing in front of bands, you know, for, for decades, I um, Finding out what kids really like to play um, and finding out what things that uh, come together, um, what type of music people like to, not just for the audience, but, you know, the musicians, young musicians, um, if they like the song that, you're, that you passed out, they're going to work extremely hard to, to play it well. Um, and so I was always putting myself, you know, part of me was in their shoes a little bit because, you know, I played in a lot of bands. And I knew that I wanted to be challenged, but I also wanted to have fun with the music. I didn't want to dread, you know, like, oh, we're going to play that one again. You know, it was always I, I wanted to write music for, uh, you know, high school, university um, ensembles that they would enjoy playing over and over. And mostly because it sounded great, but also that there was a challenge. You know, there's there's always that one spot that was uh, going to require a little extra work. And people appreciate that. Um, and then, it, you know, things have changed uh, as bands have changed over the years and incorporating new instruments. You know, I, I write some things that putting a drum set, an electric bass player, uh, guitar player with a concert band. Um, and it's not for the purpose of, you know, 
writing a, a, a pop tune and just making it playable by a concert band, but doing legitimate concert band music with um, what we have come to accept as legitimate instruments by those electric instruments. So um, that's kind of an inspiration to kind of try to pull those things together. Um, all those different ideas of, of, you know, who you're writing for, but then how you're going to pull these different um, instruments together. And then it, when I'm done writing something, if I don't want to play it, then I miss the mark. If I don't want to hear it again, then I miss the mark. Um, so when I'm done writing something, I mean, I don't publish everything that I write. Um, it, it has to pass those tests. You know, I, I've, I want to be able to hear it over and over, and I want to be able to be challenged by it if I were one of the musicians. Um, and then I think it'll be around for a while after it passed those tests. So uh, things have been going pretty well. People, uh, different parts of the globe have purchased uh, some of my stuff. And, uh, you know, you, you don't do this for, to make money, <laughs> obviously, in the publishing business, especially the way things are these days. Um but it's fun to know that, you know, there are groups out there playing my things and uh, and they I get some positive feedback and, and it keeps me going. Well, good, good. You know, maybe my plug will help. Uh, who knows? Well, interesting you mentioned that, you know, including some of these non-traditional instrumentations, you know, uh, bass guitar or, or electric guitar uh, drum set, which leads me to the direct question of your instrument. When is it going to be accepted into a symphony orchestra? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I know. I and I picked the the instrument, you know, like that came late to the party. Um, saxophone, you know, isn't isn't very old. Um, you know, just 150 years old as an instrument. So, um, and, and then the stigma. Well, however you want to look at it, you know, uh, you if you watch a movie or television, ever since you know. Uh, the saxophone was in incorporated in those groups. Um, it was always the the sex scenes or the the uh, you know club nightclub scenes, and you know it was it was always the, oh you hear the saxophone yeah something naughty is about to happen. <laughs> and so uh, coming from that and then legitimizing it into an instrument that that can obviously. Um, portray the passion and and facility of any instrument out there um it's it's been a slow comer but it it, it is coming along it's getting uh it's getting better and better I, I i played in symphony orchestras um there are very few pieces that that have saxophone in them at least the classical pieces um but usually when we play in a symphony orchestra you know it's it's because they're it's pops night and they're going to do a tribute to um, Count Basie, you know, so they got to have you there. Um, and, you know, that's okay. I mean, each instrument has its own um, genre that I think it's known for. And But it's, you know, it's happening the other way, too. Uh, jazz groups have, you know, used violins throughout the, you know, existence of jazz. Um, some other uh, things, uh, you start to hear cellos and, and then non-solo non instruments um, like uh, euphonium or baritone in uh in pop groups now and um i think we're finally getting to a place where uh no matter what you play there's a there's a place for you there's a there's a band for you and it's still and it's going to fall back on because of that you're going to be in a group that uh is is going to teach you all kinds of things about 
being human. So um, we'll never forget that part, and that will always be there. But, yeah, as far as the saxophone goes, um, there's still work to be done to legitimize. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to play my two cents worth and enjoyed it, good memories of it, and uh, try to help younger kids come up through the ranks and, and help their experience. Very good. I, I, I want to end on, on uh, just what you said. Whatever instrument you play, or if, if it's, you know, singing as well, but because we've, you know, basically been talking about instrumental music uh, today, uh, there's going to be a group for you, and you're going to be with people, and this experience and this common goal is going to, you know, even if you're, you know, from different cultures or whatever, and you're coming together because, you know, we talk about music being the universal language. Well, I don't know if it's universal, but it's certainly global. You know, it doesn't matter what country you're coming from. You get a piece of music in front of you. You'll be able to understand what you need to do. And you all come together and you all become better people because of that experience. And and because of that... We hopefully get uh, a better world. That's that's the goal. Very good, John. Uh, I thank you so much uh, for yeah. for talking with me today. Uh, for being here, it was a pleasure to hear your insights, to hear your background, to hear what and how you made the music and how you helped others make music, and are continuing to do that. Um, even though you're not teaching, you're you're still you know, inspiring others. And so that's uh, a wonderful thing. And so I appreciate you sharing uh, with us. And I wish you all the best. And like I said, I'll be in contact with my order uh, for some pieces very soon. Okay. Thank you so much. All the best to you. All right. I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Pete. You also. You've been listening to Making the Music, a mostly classical music podcast about how we get our music. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, don't be shy and subscribe. And I look forward to you joining in for the next episode of Making the Music.